Okay, good morning, uh, Mystic. Uh, let's wait for a few minutes uh, for other peoples to join. Thank you. Good morning again. This is uh, Peter Mark, and uh, let's give uh, uh, two or three more minutes to for others to join. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to get started. Uh, good morning again. Uh, today is July the 10th, 20, year 2022. Today's topic is about the leaker investigation when the Supreme Court eats its own. 
the uh, today's topic is actually quite uh, straightforward to me, but uh, uh, I uh, I'm very shocked that, that nobody, uh, very few people brought this up, especially those lawyers, the law professors, and uh, you know just talking heads on the TV and the mainstream media. Um, so I'm going to go back. Uh, so today's uh, sh- uh, episode is uh, uh, breaking down into broken down into introduction, and then uh, and I'm going to do one segment called the statutory language in regard to rights and the crimes, and the sec- another segment is about the jurisdiction of the investigative agencies and the jurisdiction of a trial court, and uh, the third. Segment will be we're going to talk about predication. Predication meaning that what is the probable cause when you conduct a criminal investigation, and then the last segment is uh, conclusion. Uh, it's a little bit long conclusion, but today's topic actually, in my opinion, uh, it's much easier for a common person, man or woman, to understand. The legal investigation is a criminal investigation. There's no doubt about it. And uh, just because of the the enormous uh, impact of this uh, Dobbs versus Jackson decision. And uh, so I'm going to start with uh, the introduction. The the term leaker is a slang term for a fart that turns out to be an unanticipated watery shit leak. And uh, I'm using leaker in both ways. Both the, you know, you can call this a leaker who disclosed the draft opinion by Justice Samuel Leto. It's an act of a leaking, right? And also I will consider the whole decision is a leaker. Uh, It's really a shitty decision, as a lot of women will feel that way. And uh, another slam term is called a brain fart. Uh, Brain fart is a temporary mental lapse or failure to reason correctly. Well, you think about this uh, Dobbs decision, it's a pretty big brain fart. But my point today is that the leaker investigation is just far worse than the decision on reversing Roe v. Wade itself. Again, the investigation of the leaker is all by itself is a far worse violation over someone's constitutional rights. So the, the, the basic question is this. We know uh, the Supreme Court's uh, Chief Justice uh, Roberts, you know, initiated the investigation. He basically uh, appoint, uh, designated the U.S. Marshal, who is responsible for the security of the U.S. Supreme Court, the, the, the property, the, the building, to conduct the investigation. The question is this, does the U.S. Supreme Court need an existing law to investigate the leaker or the leaking of the draft opinion? The answer is clearly yes. The Constitution requires the entire justice system to follow the due process of law. And the Supreme Court is no exception. Okay, In our justice system, there's something called the statutory rights. Statutory rights means these are the rights and privileges given by a law. Generally speaking, our rights are, again, it's called unalienable rights, as as declared in the Declaration 
of independence, right? But there's a lot of statutory rights. Uh, statute, one example would be your driving privilege, your, your rights to drive on the highway, driving a vehicle. You know, you have to be 18 years old. You have to pass a written test. You have to pass road test. And so you get that rights to drive. And if you violate certain laws, your driving right, your rights to drive will be taken away. So, so the rights are usually, you know, the, the so-called statutory rights are determined by the laws. So are the crimes. All the, most of the crimes are defined by a statute. There's a state laws, there's a federal laws that define what is a crime. Okay, there are certain uh, crimes are defined by so-called common law. Common law meaning those are the laws not written on a book, not written as a statute. And uh, their punishment is not necessarily written in a statute. Those are the common law crimes, meaning you don't need a statute to define. But most of our crimes these days, being a drug possession, being a sexual assault, they are all defined by statutes, by, by, by words, okay? And uh, you have to have a crime defined by a statute. Then you can have an investigation of a crime. And then you can have a trial of that crime. So the question will be, is this leaking of this draft opinion a crime? I'm going to go there later. So I want to give everybody another example what do I mean by statutory rights and the statutory uh, crimes? I mean, these are all defined by a law, by a word. Uh, in in uh, Justice Kavanaugh's opinion, I did not read it, but I, I heard over the uh, uh, talking head, Justice Kavanaugh has a separate opinion on this uh, Dobbs versus uh, Jackson decision. He, one of his opinions is that the Constitution did not give women rights to abortion. Therefore, the woman has no rights to abortion. But he did suggest, this is on his own term, that maybe the Congress should pass a law giving the rights of abortion to women. He suggested that. The fact he's, he suggested that just means that in this country, under the, our Constitution, you have you have to define a right in, uh, uh, you know, in words, in letters. It's called the lawmaking. Okay, it's the same thing with uh, crimes. Another example will be this: uh, this uh, thing called the, the Mulford Act in California. M U L F O R D. The Mulford Act is a gun control law. It's passed in 1967 making uh, uh, carrying guns uh, in public a crime. That law was made uh, for fearing the Black Panthers members carrying weapons and protest in different uh, state capitals. And uh, so that law particularly criminalized the Second Amendment, the exercise of Second Amendment by the Black people. But at least you can tell that you will need a law called the Mumford Act to make a crime. So, so keep that in mind and think about, you know, whether there is a statute to define leaking of a Supreme Court opinion a crime.
you know, you may guess you may not know about it. You know, in my uh, in my uh, t- uh, title page of this episode, I have said, as of today, there is a proposal by a few Republican congressmen to pass a law called the Supreme Court Accountability Act, things of that nature, to make leaking of a Supreme Court opinion a crime. That by itself just means that right now, leaking that draft opinion is not a crime yet. Okay. So now I'm going to talk about uh, Riley versus California, because I'm going to talk about three cases in today's show. When is Riley versus California? When is the FBI against me? Because uh, the FBI searched my house. They obtained two search warrants uh, against me. And uh, and then the third one will be the legal investigation. I'm going to talk about these three cases. Riley versus California is important because it's about searching a person's cell phone. As we know, the leaker investigation involves everybody, all the law clerks have to submit their cell phones for inspection, right? So in Riley, is also a unanimous decision. So I'm going to quickly read through this uh, summary of the facts of the Riley versus California. This is from this uh, OS.org. David Leon Riley belongs to the Lincoln Park gang of San Diego, California. On August 2nd, 2009, he and others opened fire on a rival gang member driving past them. The shooters then got into Riley's automobile and drove away. On August 22nd, 2009, the police pulled Riley over driving a different car. He was driving on expired license registration tax. Because Riley's driver's license was suspended, Police policy required that the car be impounded. Before a car is impounded, police are required to perform an inventory search to confirm that the vehicle has all its components at the time of seizure to protect against liability claims in the future and to discover hidden contraband. During the search, police located two guns and subsequently arrest Riley for possession of the firearms. Riley had his cell phone in his pocket when he was arrested. So a gang investigation unit detective analyzed the videos and the photographs of Riley making gang signs and other gang indicia that were stored on the phone to to determine whether Riley was again affiliated. Riley was subsequently tied to the shooting on August 2nd via ballistic tests, and the separate charges were brought to include shooting an, in, at an occupied vehicle, attempted murder, and assault with a semi-automatic weapon. Before trial, Riley moved to suppress the evidence regarding his gang affiliation that had been acquired through his cell phone. His motion was denied. So long story short is that when you commit a crime, you will be subject to the penalties under that uh, criminal statute. But if you are a gang-associated member, 
and you commit the same crime, that's a very aggravating circumstances. So Riley is not suppressing evidence regarding any of his other crimes, but he's about his gang affiliation. This got to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. <clears throat> Again, the, his gang affiliation is entirely based on the search of his cell phone. And here comes the U.S. Supreme Court decision. The Supreme Court held in a, a unanimous decision by Chief Justice Roberts that police generally require a warrant in order to search cell phones, even when it occurs during an otherwise lawful arrest. The Chief Justice explained that an, an, an analogizing uh, a search of a data on the cell phone to a search of a physical items is akin to saying a ride on horseback is materially indistinguishable from a flight to the moon. Both are ways of getting from point A to point B, but little else justified lumping them together. The court also emphasized that the fact that the technology now allow an individual to carry such information in his hand does not make the information any less worthy of the protection for which the founders fought. Our answer to the question of what police must do before searching a cell phone ceased incident, uh, ceased incident to an arrest is accordingly simple. Get a warrant. So unanimously, the Supreme Court in Riley versus California saying, you need a search warrant to get someone's cell phone. Right now, for the legal investigation, the Supreme Court is asking every clerk to submit his or her cell phone for inspection. I call that a brain fart. Okay, now I'm going to go into how come this is a worse of a brain fart. Because uh, to start with, you can think about it. To get a search warrant, what you need? You need to specify a crime. You need to specify what statute under which a crime has occurred. Because you cannot just say, I need a search warrant. All right? So, 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 so just going back, that leaking of a Supreme Court draft, uh, uh, Supreme Court drafted opinion has not been defined as a crime. Okay, so now we're going to go to three segments, which will show layer by layer the U.S. Supreme Court actually violated due process of law itself. It's layer by layer. It's not just a, a simply list them up, you know, enumerate them. No, this is a layer by layer. So first of all, so I'm going to talk about the Segment one, statutory languages defining a crime. First of all, courts are public venue, funded by public money, our tax money. The court's proceeding and the records of the courts are absolutely open to the public. There's, there's no secret court. You know, FISA court is a secret court. I have a huge problem with the FISA court of this by itself, but... That's a separate topic in the future. 
But the, as we, we all should know, courts, uh, the, all these judges, all these law clerks, they know that they're all paid by taxpayers' money. So no court's records or the proceedings should be keep secret. In, in principle, there's a, there are exceptions, of course. And But U.S. Supreme Court actually hold themselves quite above the law because uh, uh, I think this is back in 1990s. Uh, this uh, 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 pretty famous lawyer by the name of Peter Irons, uh, I-R-O-N-S, I think he, he's still a law professor, retired law professor in the uh, University of California in San Diego. He uh, published a book called uh, May It Please the Court, in which he basically go over 23 uh, Supreme Court cases, specifically the audio recording of those Supreme Court cases, the oral argument. He published those arguments in front of the Supreme Court, including the questions and back and forth uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court justices. The clerk of the U.S. Supreme Court at the time wrote a letter to Mr. Peter Clark. He's a lawyer and a law professor saying, basically, you should not do that. The Supreme Court is not happy that you're doing that. So the Supreme Court actually had a tendency of conducting themselves in secrecy. Whether that's justified or not, you know, I personally don't believe it's even justified. But going back, the court is funded by public money, all court's records, it, oh, no, all the proceedings should be public. We cannot have a secret criminal trial of someone, right? So here comes the question, so where is the statutory language defining the purported crime? The answer is nowhere to be found. There is not a crime defined in this for any federal statute of a leaking a drafted a Supreme Court opinion. Because those opinions is about to be published anyway, right? They are not secret opinions, right? So I'm going to give you some example, some bad, bad actions, bad, bad conduct, but this is not a statutory language defining that's a crime. Now, President Bill Clinton having an oral sex with a person other than his wife in the White House, not anywhere else, in the White House. Is that a crime? No, I do not see a law saying that's a crime. Unless Monica Lewinsky come out saying it's a sexual assault, then that become a crime. But right now, all we know is President Bill Clinton did have a sexual relationship with a person other than his wife in the White House. But that's not a crime. Right? So, 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 so. And there's many other examples, but I want to just show some other leaking of the government document. You know, the drafted opinion is a government document. For Edward Snowden to leak those NSA documents, is that a crime? Very likely, because there is a law clearly say those are national defense information. If you're leaking them, that is a crime. It's defined by law. Is it a crime for... Uh, Hillary Clinton to keep her email, a private email server at her own private home, storing top secret government information. Yes, they are crimes. They are crimes not because I say so. They are crimes because the law defined them. There's actual words defining what he she's dead. 
right? So, so, so now back to Riley. Riley, his complaint again is not about whether he had committed shooting or possessing weapons. His complaint is about whether his gang-related crime, this his gang affiliation, this evidence is produced by unreasonable search and seizure of his cell phone, right? So in Riley's case, he actually does have a crime, except that the gang-related stuff is obtained illegally. In the leaker situation, again, find out what federal statute say this is a crime. There's none. Now I'm going to talk about my situation when the FBI searched my house. They have to list two statutes, federal statutes, saying I violate these two statutes. First one, that I have hacked government system and the banking system, computer fraud. But there actually is a statute, two statutes, uh, sorry, uh, one statute saying hacking government and banking systems is a federal crime. The second statute the FBI listed is that the disclosure of a protected health information. It's a HIPAA law. It's again, there's an actual statute under HIPAA uh, that that's saying I have accused me of violating these two statutes. You have to have a statute to define that crime. When the lawmakers today try to to make this law called the called the Leaker Accountability Act, end quote, to punish the Supreme Court leakers, it just shows us there's no currently no written law saying this is a crime. Okay? So 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 this is the first segment, the statutory language. So the, the US Supreme Court literally started an investigation of a of a of a of of, of its own uh, employee without actually a law in the book, which is just bizarre. Now let's go to the second segment, which is the second level of a violation by the U.S. Supreme Court. It's called the jurisdiction. Jurisdiction is uh, determining who has the authority to investigate and prosecute and hold trial if a crime actually occurred. So first of all, we have said there's no crime. There's no criminal, uh, uh, penal code defining that. So the pretending there is, then we're still going to find out who has the investigative authority and which court has the authority. Now, I'll pose a question to you whether you guys know this or not. Now, have you ever heard a arrest warrant being issued by U.S. Supreme Court? The answer would be no. And there's a, a in federal judiciary, there's a, also a court called the Circuit Court of Appeals. Have you ever, ever heard of an arrest warrant being issued by a Circuit Court of Appeal or a search warrant being issued by a, a Circuit Court of Appeal? Like a, by a D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal. The answer is no. Why? Because these courts are called the appellate courts. They are not trial courts. Trial courts, I mean T-R-I-A-L. Trial courts has the original jurisdiction when a crime occurred. 
As a matter of fact, if there were a law punishing the leakers of the U.S. Supreme Court, the law usually will say specifically, it will spell out which court will has the jurisdiction over a crime defined by law. So in another word, the Supreme Court is not the trial court. If a crime actually happened, you, ha you have to go back to the trial court. You know, in Washington, D.C., a trial court will be the, you know, the Washington, D.C. has its own court for the District of Columbia. And also, of course, you have a federal court called the District Court. Right. So I'll give you an example. You know, Justice Clarence Thomas, who has a reputation long, long, from a long, long time ago that he likes large breasted women. So let me repeat. Clarence Thomas is reportedly like likes large-breasted women. If it happened that if there's a report that he has grabbed a woman by her boobs inside the U.S. Supreme Court building during the court's normal hours of operation, going back to Bill Clinton having oral sex in the White House, is there a crime if Clarence Thomas grabs a woman's boobs inside the U.S. Supreme Court during the court's normal hours of operation? You'll guess yes, but then you're going to ask who is going to investigate if this woman reported? And what will be the investigative agency? And, and then the most important is which court has the jurisdiction of this reported crime? I can tell you this, it will not be your Supreme Court. If there's a this District of Columbia law defining grabbing a woman's boobs without consent is a sexual assault, then the D.C. District Columbia's court has jurisdiction. And then the D.C. police has jurisdiction, right? If uh, grabbing a, a woman's boobs uh, uh, without her consent in the US, inside your Supreme Court is a federal crime because the Supreme Court is a federal facility, then the FBI, and if this is a sexual assault, if there's a federal uh, law saying this is a sexual assault, then the FBI will have the jurisdiction, not U.S. Marshals. Because that's what U.S. US Marshal is conducting the leakers' investigation. So the jurisdiction is one of the fundamental questions a judge will ask whether this judge, this court, has jurisdiction over this matter or not. So let me repeat. So the U.S. Supreme Court has no jurisdiction to issue a search warrant to ask for everybody's uh, 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 what is uh, uh, cell phones. You know, if a justice or law court broke some rules, it's uh, a work-related misconduct. The Supreme Court is entitled to have a human resource investigation, like in your regular workplace. If you suffered sexual harassment, you can report to the HR, the Human Resource Department, right? If it's things are getting really bad, you, you can report to the local police, right? So, so at the best, what the U.S. Supreme Court can do for this leaking is to investigate as a workplace misconduct. The maximum penalty is termination of the employment. 
maybe disbarring, but all these are not crimes. You can, you, you know, in, in the HR investigation, you know, think about where you work at. If there's a sexual harassment investigation, does everybody have to submit their cell phone to the company's HR department for them to look through your cell phone? Absolutely not. It would be crazy. So that's what your Supreme Court is doing right now. They do not recognize that they actually have a zero jurisdiction over this matter, if this even became a criminal matter. Like I said in the previous segment, it's not a criminal matter at all. But how the hell the U.S. Supreme Court does not even know that he has no jurisdiction? Because under the due process law, you have to set uh, the, uh, the, the justice, Chief Justice Roberts can report this crime, if it is, to a trial court. This trial court can be a D District of Columbia court or a district court, a federal court in D.C. Either one of trial court, only the trial court can issue a search warrant. Only a trial court can issue an arrest warrant. No other courts can do that. Okay? And when you, when whoever goes to that trial court, ask for a search warrant of someone's cell phone. Remember, Riley versus of California, unanimous decision that you can only get someone's cell phone by a search warrant. So the Chief Justice Roberts has to go to these trial courts, either the District of Columbia Court or the federal court in District of Columbia, the lower court, say, I want to report a crime. Here's the statute. And I want you to send a search warrant. And I want the law enforcement being a uh, FBI or the DC police to conduct a, a, a search, an investigation. He did not do that. He called his US Marshal to do that, which is totally in a violation of a due process of law. He has to wait, literally, you know, just because it's Supreme Court justice, he has to wait for the law to take its due course. He cannot just say, I'm going to conduct investigation myself because he's not legally allowed to do so. He is an appellate court judge, not the trial court judge. He does not have the so-called original jurisdiction. Okay, so so, so that that's that. So I'm not going to go to segment three. That's the third layer of a violation of a due process of law by the U.S. Supreme Court. So again, going back to segment one is that there's no law defining leaking of a draft opinion as a crime. But even there was a criminal statute saying so. Each search warrant has to be so-called sufficiently predicated. In other words, you have heard them, you probable cause. You have to establish a probable cause. A search warrant as defined by the founder, is from a very evil concept. You can Google that. It's called a general warrant. G general warrant. You can just Google that. General warrant is what the British used before the independence war. That the pretty, mu pretty much the British military and officials can search any American homes 
The general warrant just meaning I'm, I'm here to search you. There's no specific reason, no specific property, no specific person. I'm going to search. It's called a general warrant. The founding father, the Fourth Amendment, all that, is to prevent that, to prohibit that. You cannot have a general warrant. You have to be very specific. First of all, what's the law that gives you the power to search? Second, what's your probable cause? You have to be sufficiently predicated evidence saying, here's the probable cause, right? You cannot mass search a whole bunch of people. You cannot mass surveil a whole bunch of people, right? In New York City, you know, I'm not in New York City, but I know in New York City, this famous stop and frisk practice by the New York City Department is a practice of a general warrant, meaning I don't need a reason under my broken window policy, I, I look at, at a black person, uh, a, a Hispanic person, I just want to do a stop and frisk and just search his pockets and all that. I don't need to give a reason. So, 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 so you really, you know, Supreme Court is not being the highest court. You don't have the authority to just get a general warrant to search the cell phones of all your law clerks. That would be ridiculous. You have literally have to go to each person and say, and go to the trial court to go to a judge who has the authority and jurisdiction, jurisdiction to issue a search warrant and say, hey, Joe Smith is a law clerk for Justice Clarence Carl Thomas. And we have found out that he did this thing so far. And these things establish enough probable cause that he should be our target for search. We therefore ask for search warrant of his cell phone, his residence, of everything. Right? You, you, you cannot go to a court and say, go to a trial court and say, well, we believe all the law clerks need to be searched. Their cell phone needs to be seized. You're not going to do that. No court is going to allow you to do that. Right? So I'm going to use Riley versus California as an example. In that case, Supreme Court, again, unanimously supported Riley, saying that police must obtain a search warrant before they seize his cell phone. I'll give you this scenario. What if Riley, uh, had, you know, if, if someone reported this guy Riley before he was stopped by the police, that if someone already called the police saying Riley is a gang member, then probably the police will obtain a search warrant, say, okay, we need to search more things than his uh, physical possession, a uh, uh, regular physical possession in the cars. We probably want to see his cell phone. Then they still have to go to a court saying, Your Honor, this Riley guy, he could be a gang member. We Therefore, we need a more invasive search. Therefore, we would like to get his cell phone. Right? So, you know, it's all about sufficiently predicated evidence to establish probable cause, to obtain a search warrant. Not only you need a law to define crime, you need a sufficiently predicated evidence. Now I'm going to use my case when FBI searched my case, uh, search my residence. It has to be predicated by some evidence that I hacked government computer systems or banking systems because that's what that two statute say 
However, in that search warrant, two of the FBI search warrants, the FBI never specified which government system I hacked or which bank's system I hacked. Is that a city bank, a citizen's bank? Is it city bank I hacked? Is it the Homeland Security system I hacked? No, they did not say anything. They didn't say, we suspect this guy was hacking government system or banking system. But he did not, they did not say which one. And the court, in this case, the trial court, the chief magistrate of a federal court, just blindly signed it off, did not ask any questions. I think because I'm Chinese. Okay. So, and in my case, the second criminal statute under which I was searched is a, is a HIPAA violation. See, I disclosed protected health information to a third party. Disclosed has to be to a third party. But the search warrants by the FBI never even speculate which party, which third party I was being suspected to disclose the information to. Because being a leaker, you have to obtain some protected information. That being a drafted opinion, that being the Pentagon Papers, that being the NSA document, you have to first obtain some privileged document. Second is that you have to disclose. That's what's called the leaking is. Because in my case, they, you know, there's a two criminal statutes, but they have never, the FBI never specified which is the third party I leaked the information. The fact is I did not. That's why after two years and the four months, they say, oh, we're not getting anything. So we're ready to give your stuff back, Peter. So, so here's the kind of, again, the predication is important. I don't want to, you know, I don't know why the Supreme Court don't remember this word, general warrant. Remember the Alito opinion? Oh, we are the originalistic. We go back to way, way back to the Britain, right? About the quickening of a pregnancy. No, but they don't remember what is called the general warrant. What are you doing today in the leaker investigation? You know, is it basically a practice of a general warrant? And, uh, you know, for, 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 the, for the Supreme Court to do this, again, three layers. You need a criminal statute to, to, to investigate the crime. And second, you have to identify what is the uh, 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 party who has the original jurisdiction and authority to investigate. And third is that when you investigate, you still have to establish with sufficiently predicated evidence to establish your probable cause. You cannot just mass search everyone. So now I'm going to conclusion, do a conclusion. So this conclusion is a bit long, but I think I should be able to control that within one hour. So violation one, so I'm like a, you know, I'm giving out my verdict. The violation one is that the, the Supreme Court does not have a leaker statute to go after the leaking of a drafted opinion. 
This is a workplace misconduct at worst. This is a probably a, a professional misconduct at worst. A political act, definitely a political act. You know, I want to go back to my prior episode about the civil insurrection, not violent insurrection, civil insurrection against the government. Edward Snowden is a civil insurrectionist. Daniel Ellsberg, the leaker of the Pentagon paper, is a civil insurrectionist. This U.S. Supreme Court leaker is also a civil insurrectionist. They did something civil, nonviolent, but to try to inflict a maximum, I call it, friction to a machine of injustice. The Vietnam War is a huge machine of injustice. The NSA surveillance, massive as a instrument of massive injustice. The overnight taking away of women's rights is a massive injustice. Violation number two, even there were a law fascinating leaking as a crime here. The U.S. Supreme Court does not have a trial court jurisdiction unless we amend the Constitution, right? In other words, we can make a law to give the U.S. Supreme Court the rights and jurisdiction to investigate a crime of leaking within its own. But you have to amend the Constitution. Like if if you want to abolish the Second Amendment, because of all the mass shooting, we still have to go through the due course of the law. So the Supreme Court does not have a trial court jurisdiction to issue search warrant, to demand people submit their own personal belongings and subject to invasive criminal investigations and all that. They don't, just by on the paper. They cannot make it up. Violation number three. Even if there were a law saying the leaking is a crime, no court is allowed, any court, no court is allowed to approve a general search warrant against a bunch of persons of interest without sufficiently, without sufficient predication or without specifying person or property to search. A search warrant has to be fairly specific. They cannot be so broad. There's there's no limits to the police to do whatever they want. That's what the First Amendment asks for. But that's you know that's what the U.S. Supreme Court in Riley versus California unanimously decided. So, no. Why do you do know this? Because when my episode is called you know it's called a jurisprudential incoherence. Brain fart, the supreme brain fart by the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, why the U.S. Supreme Court want to unanimously protect a gang member from unreasonable search of his cell phone by police, but has commanded his own employee to submit their cell phones for search? Right? This is really brain farting at the highest level. Judges 
are mostly politicians. So are the lawyers and law professors. Now, this is my opinion. That's why this is exactly why I'm having this show. It's too important not to do it. The law is a political tool to get each other's political enemies. The law is not for justice nor for peace. You know, I was just very disturbed by the recent comments by these uh, lawyers, law professors, talking heads. I'll give you one example. Michael Cohen, the Trump's lawyer, has recently came out. You know, he all of a sudden becomes some kind of a savior of justice. He wants to charge the U.S. Supreme Court justices uh, under U, uh, 18 U.S.C. 1001. It's, I think it's like a lying to FBI or lying to the public officials, whatever. Basically because of the reversal of the Roe v. Wade in Dobbs versus Jackson. That, you know, this guy is a lawyer. He should know when the justice is legally allowed and authorized to write whatever they think. That's the opinion. That's their job. Whether you like it or not, they have the authority to write opinion. When you want to charge them for a statutory crime of lying, it's kind of a not constitutional. For a federal judge or Supreme Court justice, which is a federal judge, you can only impeach if there's a high crime and a misdemeanor. It's a, the jurisdiction of doing anything is with the Congress, not with a police department or the FBI. For the reason a Supreme Court justice or five of them wrote opinion reversing Roe v. Wade, they are authorized to write their opinion. Whatever the opinion they have, it's not a crime. You know, I you would think a lawyer should know that, right? But apparently he does not because Michael Cohen himself, himself was prosecuted under 18 U.S.C. 1001. So he just wanted revenge. He wanted the Supreme Court justice to be punished under that same law, which is ludicrous. And here comes a, a Yale law professor, Samuel Moen. M-O-Y-N. Now, he was recently on the Katie Halper show. Oh, by the way, I love Katie Halper. You know, I think she's a smart, she's a funny, and she's to the point. And she interviewed this uh, Yale law professor about this, uh, you know, Dobbs versus Jackson decision. It's a long interview, but I was quite taken by the fact that Professor Moen saying, well, if the uh, Supreme Court can invalidate abortion rights, they must also abolish the Second Amendment. Again, a total nonsense from a law professor. If you don't like the Second Amendment, go vote and amend the Constitution. You know, we used to, the, America used to prohibit the, like the, the alcohol. I think it's a prohibition uh, in the 20, uh, 1920s. And eventually, you know, we abolished that federal law. If we don't like the Second Amendment, vote. There is a constitutional procedure you to follow to abolish the Second Amendment. You cannot just say, oh, okay, Supreme Court, since you can invalidate ab ab abortion rights, now let's abolish the Second Amendment rights. All of them nonsense. Because uh, in my opinion, which I'm going to do a five episode, five different episodes on Dobbs versus Jackson 
and explain why women do have that right, even though it may not be called abortion rights, it's called something else that actually translate, can be translated into abortion rights. But you only want to debate the US Supreme Court on the merits, on the substance, not by political maneuvering. Those most loudmouth judges, lawyers, and the law professors are the most political ones, and they're the most brain-farting ones. The current scene of the U.S., the, the America's justice system, is the, I call them legal farting and the counter-farting led by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, now, you guys may say, hey, Peter, don't accuse all the judges on the bench. Of course I'm not. There are always a few good judges. But unfortunately, you can, as you can imagine, those good judges, they actually stay in their lane. In other words, they stay in their chamber, do their own judicial duties. They are not politicians. And because they're doing so, the public really get to hear about their thoughts on things. And they will not come out and criticize these loudmouth, brain-farting, legal people. Now, you know what's that called? It's called judicial collegiality. Judicial collegiality. Because this show is about judicial white privilege. Judicial white privilege is a real and a deprivational. And why it lasted so long from the day when John Punch was sentenced to be a slave till today, when women's rights were taken away overnight, it's because judicial collegiality, meaning these judges, lawyers, and law professors, they provide the complicity needed to cover up the wrongdoings on the bench by the judges since the very beginning of America. You know, just add some levities into this whole thing, because I always, you know, like Katie Helper, you know, she's a comedian. I want to keep things funny also. It's a, this is a serious topic, but, you know, I want to keep it funny also. Is that I always bring this up. It's called the chickens come home to the roost. In a prior episode, I have said, you know, these leakers is likely a white person. So the U.S. Supreme Court is going illegally out of its way to go after this white person again this is my guess you know you, you know you can hold me for that you know if it turns out this person is a not a white person i will apologize but but i have talked about this is that trump himself donald trump is a victim of a judicial white privilege there's one episode i talked specifically about that you know and uh, and and what i'm trying to say is this Judicial white privilege actually is harming the white people also. There's nothing wrong to be white. There's everything wrong about being privileged when you're on the bench. You do whatever you want. Disregarding the laws. Disregarding the Constitution. No, very few people are happy with the court these days. In the Dobbs versus Jackson decision, I'm pretty sure hundreds of millions of women probably upset. At least hundreds of people, uh, men and women, are upset 
uh, upset with the U.S. Supreme Court. Rightfully so. You know, so you can say that the Supreme Court overnight upset a lot of women. No doubt about it. And guess what? What about men? What about males? I will give you two books as an example. I did not read those books, but I'm aware of their background. One book, is, uh, its name is called The Judicial War on Men, M-E-N, Judicial War on Men, by Dr. Eric Nelson. So basically, you can tell by the title of this book, it's saying the courts are inherently against men, men's rights. There's another book, it's a rather reason. This other book's name is uh, The Respondent. Exposing the Cartel of a Family Law. This is published in June 2021 by Greg Ellis, E-L-L-I-S. This is another book. Again, I, I haven't read neither, but I know the background of them. Is that this second book is by Greg Ellis, and uh, it is uh, it has an introduction by a famous person, Johnny Depp, as we probably heard about Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. And the uh, introduction is made by Johnny Depp for this book. And Alec Baldwin, another famous Hollywood figure, did the full word of this book. The author is Greg Ellis. Greg Ellis himself, I heard, is a Hollywood actor. So both books is talking about the court being the enemy of man. So I can safely say both men and women can hate the court system. So with that said, that's pretty much what I want to tell everybody today. And I'm going to invite some folks to, uh, to talk if you so choose to. Okay. So I'm just going to go by the, by the, uh, by the person showing up on the screen. Yeah, feel free to unmute yourself if you want to talk. I give you guys uh, two minutes if you anyone wants to talk. Otherwise, I think I'm good for today. Okay, I think uh, I invite uh, both Vape, Kian, Charlie, and Derek. Try to figure out how to unmute yourself if you so choose to. Okay, it's a 59 minutes, 22 seconds. Well, I hope I did it right by inviting people. Anyone? Okay, well, I appreciate you guys uh, listening uh, live and uh, uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, hopefully I'll see you again in the next episode. Thank you and have a great Sunday.
Bye now.